0: Welcome back to another episode of Growth Marketers Podcast. I'm your host, Taylor Rowe. Today uh, we had a special guest with us. His name was Ray Blakeney. He is uh, an entrepreneur, has founded a number of businesses, all online, pretty much. A company called Live Lingua, which is an online learning platform for anybody who wants to learn to speak Spanish. He also has a new company called Podcast Hawk that is an automated way for you to get Booked into podcasts, we guest on a podcast. Very, very effective. I, we had a lot of fun today. Ray's a extremely intelligent guy. He's a successful entrepreneur and, and business owner, and he, he really understands digital and the impact that it can have on a business, and he's seen it firsthand. So, hopefully, you guys enjoy the episode, and uh, I'm pretty confident you'll have some some takeaways from his story about how he got to where he is today. Uh, if you enjoy the episode, please give us a like. Uh, subscribe, share the podcast with a friend or a colleague. Let's dive right in. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, We're here with a special guest today, Ray Blakeney. Uh, He is a serial entrepreneur, really uh, started and founded a number of different businesses, actually one business multiple times. Uh, And we'll dive into a couple of those stories. His most recent uh, venture is, is Podcast Hawk, and you've actually maybe have heard him before because this year he's already been on about 200 different podcasts. So if you if you listen to a lot of different podcasts about digital marketing and business, maybe you're familiar with Ray. But for those who are not familiar, Ray, please give our audience a, an introduction to who you are and how you got to the place where you're at today.
1: Taylor, thanks for having me on. So how I got where I am today, I wish I could say I had this massive plan about you know my life and everything kind of worked out. Unfortunately, I'm not one of those people. I kind of just do things and kind of when problems come up and solve it, you know, I solve it. And that's kind of how I got to where I am today. So my quick 30 second kind of elevator pitch backstory is I was born in the Philippines. My dad's American, but he grew up in Rhodesia. I grew up in Turkey. I'm American on my passport, but I've lived in Mexico for the last 15 years. So that's kind of the who I am on the personal side. On the business end, I studied computer engineering in college. I always thought I wanted to make computer games until I figured out that making computer games is not as much fun as actually playing them is. So I went into more corporate programming, did that for five years before I decided I didn't want to sit in a cube for the next 30 years. And I quit my job, almost a six-figure salary, to join the Peace Corps for $150 a month. So I got that's how I got here to Mexico, where I met my wife. And that's how what got me on my entrepreneur journey. My first two businesses and the two most successful ones I've had, I started with my wife. So And LiveLingua, which is one of my, my biggest company right now her and I are still partners in that one. And then I've launched other companies since she's a teacher and education is her passion. So LiveLingua was an online language school. She's involved in that, but business is not her passion. So she doesn't have my little shiny object syndrome of like launching multiple <laughs> businesses at the same time. So that's the quick okay. story of how I got to where I'm at.
0: Absolutely. So let's, let's start with Live Lingua, As you mentioned, that's maybe, you know, arguably your, your biggest success so mm-hmm. far and obviously still, still operating that business. So where did the idea come from? How did you get started? And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll dive in right in there.
1: Yeah. So this will be a, a theme probably for the podcast, but most of my best ideas have started because of pandemics. Mm-hmm. Uh, podcast talk, this new one is actually because of the, pan, the, the COVID pandemic, but Live lingual was way before. The first business that my wife and I launched were a chain of brick and mortar language schools. I may be a computer engineer, but for some reason... Like starting an online business was not like my go-to reflex when we decided to start a business. Sure. So we in started what, a break and border language school in Mexico.
0: In what time period was this? What year? Was this it?
1: would be in two thousand and seven that okay. we did that, right? So, so we launched maybe that. And, um, maybe
0: not quite. The internet wasn't quite to where it is today. So it was rougher. Did. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, trust me. My first. I mean, I'm not a graphic designer, right? So
1: people think you're a programmer. You do all, no, no, no. Trust me. I'm the guy like who you hit the submit button in the bank. And it does all the the stuff in the background. That's what I did. So trust me, the first like few websites I made, arguably the websites I make today still, are pretty embarrassing because I really didn't I was not a designer. WordPress was barely a thing back then. So I threw up this like five-page HTML website for our first business, which was this chain of language schools. And I knew nothing about business or about marketing at that time. I don't mm-hmm. even remember how, but I stumbled across something called SEO. Search mm-hmm. engine optimization, right? I was just, I guess I was just going on these, back in the day, we used to go to things called forums where, you know, people would right. discuss things, right? So I, I, I was on one of those and I was reading all these marketing things. I'm like, SEO, great. That seems free because, you know, Google ads, Facebook ads. I had $2,000 in my bank account. So spending a few grand to figure out which Facebook ads funnel was going to work was not something that was possible. I'm like, SEO seems like it'll work for me. Sure. So I went out there, back then, keeping my 2008, SEO was actually kind of easier if you had the right tools because you mm-hmm. could just spam the heck out of things, right? Yeah. So I did that for our language school. And before we even opened our door, we were number one in the country. Like if wow. you wanted to come and learn Spanish in Mexico, Spanish schools in Mexico, all the rest, we would show up. Number one, at worst, number three in all the Google search results, mainly because none of the other Spanish schools had essentially a full-time SEO on staff who was just right. doing this like all day, every day. And luckily, because of that, we were fully booked the day we opened and we asked for big deposits. The first day we opened, remember, we only had $2,000. That was paying our rent, our food, everything. Yeah. Those big deposits were enough for us to go run out and get tables for our rooms. So we were like, literally the day before the first students arrived, we were running with like tables and putting them in the rooms and putting up whiteboards we bought at Office Office Max on the walls. So that when people came in there, they thought, wow, this school's been around a while. No, literally, we opened (laughs) like yesterday. But we were fully booked on the first day. And as a result, kind of the thing took off. The way that got into live lingual was we were about a year into it, and there was something in Mexico called the swine flu, which at the time they thought was going to be what COVID is right now, right? It was mm-hmm. going to go across the world. We would have to shut off all the borders. So what they did was they shut down Mexico's border. And we our school brought students from other countries. So we were an immersion school. Americans and Europeans would come to Mexico, stay with us. We put them with a the Mexican family, and that's how they learned Spanish. So once you close off the borders, done. <laughs> like no students could come in or out. So... Overnight, we went from like success to like nothing. And we were only a year in, so it's not like I had this huge runway of money. And most of our teachers got paid week to week because mm-hmm. that's how they want to be paid. And budgeting is not a big thing here in Mexico. So literally, if I paid them on Friday, by the following Friday, they would not have any money left. So we had to go and figure out a way to start bringing in more money and more work for our teachers. It was actually my wife who had the idea of emailing our pre- previous students to see if they want to have class on Skype. So... This was even before MailChimp and ActiveCampaign. So manually in the BCC field, I put like mm-hmm. 150 emails, whatever the limit was, and I sent send out four emails. And to our surprise, like 15 to 20% of the students said, yeah, we'd love to. I was like, oh, wow, people would actually take classes over Skype <laughs> or online. Again, today that sounds like old news, but back in 2008, that was just like, wow, I mean, you know, novel concept. So I threw up this dinky website called SpanishLessonsOnline.com. With five pages, did the basic SEO spamming that used to work back then, you know, built a few hundred links by commenting and blogs and all Mm -hmm. the rest of the stuff, came up for Skype Spanish lessons in Google on the search results. And that was it. And I threw out the page. I'm like, okay, good. It'll be a side hustle. Two things happened. One, within 30 days, the swine flu fizzled out. So our school was fully booked about 60 days later. Mm -hmm. But within six months, we were making way more money off of this dinky side project than we were off of our school, even though I was only working on it like an hour a day. Sure. So at that point, we decided, okay, it took about a year to two years to get this point. But okay, let's sell the brick and mortar schools. At the time, we had multiple branches because we're making way more money off of this business that we're not paying any attention to. Yeah. And we sold the school and we focused on this online business. And I had launched a lot of microsites, which used to work back then. I had like onlineenglishlessons.net and all the rest for all these other languages uh, when we launched. And then Google Penguin happened and all the websites that were number one in the world disappeared from the top 100 results and, and you had already gotten that.
0: rid of your your brick and mortar
1: we had already gotten rid of the brick and mortar actually brick and mortar got hit too so unfortunately the new owners <laughs> but the new owners actually ran the brick and mortar to the ground in 18 months mm-hmm. so by the time they got hit they'd already closed down the school so i don't feel too <laughs> bad about that
0: but you had yeah. already put all your eggs into the online basket and then yeah,
1: exactly got, no overnight i mean traffic i woke up in the morning it was like <laughs> i mean we were like a few thousand a day so to, what did you do to,
0: what was your thought did you know what happened i mean obviously now looking back at it we know like you said, you were kind of spamming it at the time that we didn't know that was spamming, right? We were. It just worked hitting. if you didn't do
1: it, you weren't on the first page, right. right? I mean, it was spamming, but if you didn't spam, you might as well not have a website, right?
0: right? And now it's it's yeah. very well documented algorithm updates and all these kind of things. But back then, again, so were you confused? Did they, did you think that somebody you know <laughs> had it out for you at Google? Like, what was what was your initial thought?
1: Yeah, so I mean, the beginning was obviously panic. Uh, You know, the the cold sweat we've all had. Any every entrepreneurs had that cold sweat moment where they just open something up and something's not right. I was still active on the forums, and those forums are great. You know, so within I wasn't the only person in the world hit by Penguin. I'd I'd argue tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people lost their businesses overnight because of that. So the forum exploded. Right, suddenly everybody's like, "What the heck? My website's gone." It took a few days for Google to actually make the announcement of what the update was. So for a few days, everybody was speculating. But it became pretty clear that it was just a massive Google core update. And that is what made us disappear. And there was the consensus, you know, after a week or two, you try to figure out how to fix it. Mm-hmm. Then you realize, look, there's no way I can go from like banned essentially from Google back onto the first page. Yeah,
0: we got to start over.
1: We got to start over. I had a corporate site, which was called LiveLingua.com. So all of my micro sites, I said, you know, under, what's it, run by LiveLingua.com in the footer. But that was pretty much it. So I used it for nothing, had no backlink to it. But people on the billing, when we used to bill just directly from PayPal knew what LiveMail was. So I'm like, okay, we're starting again. We know our business model works, right? I just have to get myself back up to the first page. I was hit, so was everybody else who was on the first page. So there was like no real big, the people on the first page weren't that good at SEO because they just got there, not because they were doing it well, they just weren't doing anything. So everybody was doing it well before it just disappeared. And so I'm like, okay, let's get back up there. We had the students, it's like a subscription model more or less. So it's not like you know we lose all our clients overnight. People just bought more hours and bought more hours. We had a runway, I ran a really tight ship. So it was like me and my wife, as like the management team, and one VA in the Philippines who answered the emails. Mm-hmm. That was it. So and we live, I live in Mexico. So my cost of living is really low. Mm-hmm. So we're like, okay, we can survive. We can we can try this again. So I spent the next 12 months when only White Hat SEO. And building it back up it took about twelve months to get back on the first page. Not the first, not the top, but just like you know, creeping back up into nine or ten. It took about two years to get back on the top, of the first page. And we've been maintaining that ever since when we're doing it. And I only do like you know, hundred percent white hat, like you know, appearing on podcasts right. and getting backlinks this way. Uh, right now, I do not pay. I don't do anything that could possibly jeopardize the business. And as a result, we have a you know nice seven figure lifestyle business that we that kind of lets us do all the rest of the stuff. So that's kind of my story in my mind, building it twice from the ground up.
0: Yeah. yeah and, and, you know, I'm sure that now you can look back at it and say, maybe that was a blessing because you had that perspective of like, you had the confidence to wait and the discipline to wait those two years because you knew, like you said, we had proven the business model. We know what the potential is once we get to the first page. I see that a lot with entrepreneurs of, you know, we have customers, we've gotten customers through word of mouth referrals. You know, and everyone believes that they have the best product, the best service, and they're better than their competition. And if only more people knew about us, right? But that leap of faith to invest into digital, right? That's the scary part. And then the discipline, as I mentioned, to, okay, well, we're three months in, we're six months in, we spent these tens of thousands of dollars, maybe on either agencies, or we've hired people internally. I mean, all those things that you're talking about, you were doing them yourself, but you know, most most CEOs don't have that, that skill set. So you try to hire somebody internally or hire somebody else. So at what point, was there a point where you started to doubt yourself? Um, did you always know it's just a matter of time? Like you said, was, was there, were you sweating it out to say, hey, maybe this is going to work this time?
1: I think there's always a little bit of that self-doubt behind you when you're an entrepreneur. But I also knew I didn't want to be doing anything else. Mm. So I've been an entrepreneur now for like 15 years entrepreneurship journey is ups and downs. I mean, that's just part of the game. So you know, one of my favorite quotes is failure is not when you something doesn't work, it's when you stop trying. Mm-hmm. And I never actually considered stopping to try. Because I knew SEO in general worked. I just had to figure out what the new paradigm was, right? Mm-hmm. Because spamming blog posts is not spinning up articles and throwing up on article directories is not something that works anymore. There's got to be a way to rank number one because somebody else is ranking number one right so you can actually reverse engineer up to a point just do whatever this person number one is doing and there's a pretty decent chance you're going to get up there as well so that was kind of the philosophy that I had when I was going into it I did actually at that point though you know just to make to make ends meet I started doing SEO consulting so I worked for agencies and all the rest of it at the same time so it wasn't I knew we had no major income coming in or our income was going down our turn rate was let's say about five percent a month um, so that was, you know, our income would go down then we'd luckily gotten into six figures at that point. So, you know, I live in Mexico, making hundred grand a month was pretty decent. And even with a 5% churn, mm-hmm. we could do that for a few years, mm-hmm. but I got consulting gigs as a SEO that kind of made the ends meet. I didn't have kids yet. It was just me and my wife. And I worked for a year or two years. It's a great question though. And I don't think doubt actually ever entered in my head. I'm trying to think back about, it. did I ever doubt it? No, I just Got out every morning and went to work.
0: Yeah. yeah. Like you said, I mean, it could be partially due to the fact that you, you saw it, right? You had a, probably a bigger leap of faith when you started and put the overhead investment into the, the physical stores, physical locations, without any real guarantee that there was a demand for this or that people were going to... Oh, I had no <laughs> idea what I was doing.
1: I had no clue. Yeah. Um, so one of the stories I love to tell is that I was lucky enough that my first two businesses were a success. I had never read a business book in my entire life. And I remember thinking, so I had the outbreak of order school and the online school. I'm like, why do people read business books? This is What's easy. What's the point? I'm like, this stuff's <laughs> easy. I'm like, yeah. And then I got hit by Google. I have failed a lot of businesses since then. I read about a book a week now. So that's my, the old me, you know, it's what the more you know, the more you don't mm-hmm. know. And I knew nothing at the beginning. So I thought I knew everything, right? Sure. There, there was you no know, about business when I was back there, but that's kind of the place I was at. I actually credit a lot of my kind of resilience to. I've studied martial arts for most of my life. And specifically, I study a martial art called Kendo, which is Japanese fencing, Japanese sword fighting. The reason I bring it up is because Kendo actually only has four moves. In the entire martial art, there are only four moves, four attacks you do. And you spend 40 or 50 years practicing those four moves. I am very good at like repetitive tasks when I can see incremental gains. And that is kind of what SEO was to me. I'm like, today, i got a backlink. Awesome. Domain Authority 50. Great. Let's go back tomorrow. Let's get another one. Let's get another one. And kind of just doing that day in, day out, answering customer support emails. I used to do that as well. And that's kind of how I've built a lot of my businesses. I joke that if I ever wrote a book, it'd be seven years to seven figures and nobody would buy it because nobody wants to know how to work your butt off for seven years to start making money. They want to know how to make money in seven days. And if you want to know that, don't come to me. I can't help you at all. I have no clue how to make that much money in seven
0: Yeah. And that is the reality of it, right? And like you said, everybody, you know, kind of searches for somebody who's going to echo what they want to hear, particularly when it comes to Um, digital marketing, right? Because you see that hockey stick style growth, you do see that. And you look at people's Google Analytics and you see things that go viral. But what you don't see is all of the, you know, like you said, the six years it took to then finally get traction. SEO, we always explain like SEO is a zero sum game, right? There's only one person that can rank number one, and you don't get any benefit of being on page two or really don't get any benefit of being on position five, right? You don't see anything until you get to those top three positions. And so it could take a long time and you could be focusing on hundreds of thousands of keywords that have thousands or tens of thousands of search volumes. So that potential for traffic is huge, but it's not, and people look at it and they think, well, it's an incremental growth, right? If I want to get to 10,000 visitors a month, you know, I can do 1,000 and then 2,000 the next and 3,000. And that's not the case. It's 0, 0, 0, 0, 0 5,000, 000, 10,000, 000, 15,000, 000, right? And so I think that's a, a good lesson. I'm curious on, you took that business, like you said, it was, you know, business to consumer. It was kind of your first business venture. You, you had success with it. Then you started consulting for other companies from an SEO perspective. You started building other businesses and other industries. How did your skill set, how did this strategy of inbound marketing SEO translate into other industries? So in
1: general, it worked really well. So SEO, now I actually you know coach and consult people on building businesses as well. And SEO is generally, if you're a bootstrapper, it's my go-to like step one, do some SEO. And even one step before SEO is the keyword research, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're actually looking into the viability of an online business specifically, I would even say a brick and mortar business. Go and do your basic keyword research because it actually gives you a vague idea of how many people are looking for whatever it is you're selling. Then go and see who else is offering it. See if you can compete on price or on quality. And if you answer no to any of those questions, like there are not enough people looking for it, I can't do better or I can't do cheaper, then don't do the Mm -hmm. business. I mean, you can save yourself a lot of headache just by kind of doing that step. That's part of SEO. It's just the first step that a lot of people skip over. They kind of go and say, wow, books, that gets a million searches a month. I'm going to go and rank for that. But they don't. One Look at who's doing, doing books and how competitive the marketplace is for that. And they can't, can I actually do a better job than Amazon's doing? Maybe, maybe you can go, I would niche down quite a bit more than the keyword yeah. books at that point, right? So in that sense, I use it for almost every bit, almost, I'll put it in there, every business that I've ever launched. So some of the businesses I've launched, I have had, I've had my own agency before. And my to you, Taylor, because I found out, you know, all those things that you're, the challenges you face Telling clients that it might take three, six, 12 months to actually start getting things. Most clients, like you say, don't want to hear that. It's like, it's been 30 days. Why am I not number one in Google? Like, yeah, you want to sell cars. Mm -hmm. I'm like, you're not going to be number one in Google in 30 days, right? Or maybe not in 20 years, depending on how, especially for what you're paying me. That's absolutely not going to work, right? Um, I launched a chocolate factory in Southeast Asia. I use the keyword research for how many people look for chocolates over there. Obviously, I had to translate into other languages to do the kind of localized searches. But I was able to check out the market then as well uh, and then check out the competition, seeing that there was none. I have done, you know, I did a shopper, somebody who helps you do shopping because I'm really bad at doing shopping. I did that. That one, you know, the numbers worked out, but the business didn't. But I always start with that SEO component of looking for what people, the keywords with buyer intent too, right? Yeah. I mean, not just exactly. is it existing demand. There are two types of entrepreneurs out there, right? They're the visionaries who just kind of create something where there is no demand, like iPhone. Nobody was looking for iPhone before Steve Jobs created an iPhone. Mm-hmm. He just did it and you know everybody wants to buy a Tesla, whatever you want to do. That's not my kind of entrepreneurship. I don't know how to do that. I know how to say, okay, generally it happens because I need something and I go and look for it and I don't find it. Then I go and do the keyword research. I'm like, is anybody else looking yeah. for this and not finding it? And if the answer is yes, that's when I build the business around Sure.
0: Yeah. And that's what we preach to our clients all the time is that. It's, all, it's really about understanding the maturity of the market, right? Because if you're in a, you know, we look at it like a red ocean, blue ocean, right? If you're in a blue ocean, there's a lot of opportunity and look at that. And those are the people that are, you know, you see on Shark Tank and all these big, like you said, Apple, you know, Uber, Netflix, all these things where it's like, these are, you know, we're creating a new product category. Great. But no one's actively searching for that because they don't, you're, you're, you have to introduce to them a problem that they didn't know they have and then give them the solution. And so that's a that's a big piece of it. And I think, you know, SEO in particular, content marketing, that idea of like in you know, putting content out there, educating your market, driving traffic through Google, that can still be effective, but it's actually even a longer process because now you're writing content around the questions and problems they have and then you have to introduce that's- the solution versus just that bottom of the funnel buyer intent related search. So that's a big piece. And one other piece I wanted to let our audience know too. You mentioned the level of competition, I would even take that a step further right now and look at the actual SERP results, like the search engine result page and the types of results. Because some things, consumer products in particular, there are so many listing ads, Google ads, you know, Google, what do they call now? Google verified or Google search carousels. carousels. So it's like the first organic result might be, you know, if you're on your phone, it might be three scrolls down, right? So- how have you have you noticed that as Google has changed not just their algorithm but the way they're displaying the results? Have you had to adapt your, your SEO strategies and your marketing strategies?
1: Absolutely. So the strategy is still try to get to number one, right? I mean that even if you're you know the first organic result, that's still better than being the fifth organic result, regardless sure. how many ads they throw up on top of you. There are studies out there that show though, you know, if you're number one on the ads and the number one search results you will actually get more click-through on your organic search results as well, even if nobody clicks on your ad at the top because they see it. Most people who aren't in the marketing space like you or I, they think that's just validation. Wow, these must be really good, right? They're on this page twice. They don't know what the mechanics behind it. Most people don't understand the mechanics of SEO. They think Google is saying this is the best page, right? Number one must be the best. Number two is the second best. Number three. It's got nothing at all to do with that. It could be the worst product in the world, but just have the best SEO on staff to get up to position number one. So, I definitely agree with you. That's You need to kind of take both approaches. If you don't have the money, though, of course, becoming number one, unless you are in a very low competitive area, in the Google PPC ads, is pretty hard. Competitive areas, we're talking like 5, 10. You're a lawyer. It's like $100 a click. Last time I checked, I mean, you know, it's really, really expensive to get up there. So if you're just starting your law firm today, you're probably not blowing $100 per click. I mean, this is not even per lead, right? This one is just point. per click to get right. to your website. If you're <laughs> lucky, you'll get like a 10% lead on that. So you're paying like $1,000 per lead. That's outside of the budget of what most people are doing when they're starting. So I say, go SEO. You can also do content marketing kind of on the social media platforms because that's generally free. Going on the newer ones kind of works like TikTok right now is a little less competitive than like Facebook because Facebook's oversaturated with the new iOS update. Recently, Facebook even paid ads there are kind of much more difficult to do than they used to be. I'm still more of a fan of Google ads because you get people generally kind of lower on the buyer, kind of lower Mm -hmm. on the funnel kind of the buyer intent is a little harder, is a little faster there. It's not interruption marketing, right? Like in Facebook, where right? sure. suddenly so, I mean, I'm scrolling. Yeah, I want to buy a car. So, nobody says like, oh, car ad. Now I'm going to buy a car. No, I mean, it's just kind of more to get your name and everything out there. Um, so that would generally be my recommendation. I do like kind of the Google ecosystem for sales. I, use, I like the social media more for mm-hmm. brand recognition. There are plenty of people who made lots of money off of the social media one. Just I'm not one of them, right? For me, it's not there. The exception might be now for a Podcast Talk, my new product, because we are actually, we've just built a funnel um, that's worked really, really well there with a pretty cool tripwire to kind of get people in there. And we're doing a pretty good job of converting. But this is the first time I've actually yeah, had a successful like, yeah, social that, media payday. Aligned with yeah.
0: that kind of funnel idea of lead generation and then nurture into, yeah. But I think that exactly. you're, what exactly. you're doing is piggybacking on a, a very well-known pain point, right? Because you're piggybacking on the increase in demand. Uh, so you don't necessarily have to create the demand that's and it's a low, no, low enough barrier to entry that you can use an awareness channel to generate a more buyer intent related lead. Right. So I think that's a big, that's big it. piece of it. But you brought up a, a great point about one question we get all the time, both from clients as well as you know people asking about the podcast. Is they hear everything we're saying, but they still, you know, you still, again, you still want to hear what you, what you want to hear. So you look for that silver bullet of, well, what channel is best for my business or what strategy is best for my business? And they'll ask about, you know, what do you think about YouTube? Or what do you think about Facebook ads? Or what do you think about LinkedIn ad? And what you described is what I echo a lot of is all the channels are perfect for what they're intended to be. Right. And so you have to align your messaging and your strategy with the intent of that channel. If you're leveraging Facebook the same way you're leveraging Google ads, it's going to fail, right? Because people go to Google to find solutions to their questions, their problems. That, like you said, is a very buyer intent related strategy. They don't scroll through Facebook to find an attorney or to find a digital marketing agency, right? So if that's what you're trying to get them to do, or you're trying to get them to buy a $100,000 annual software contract through a LinkedIn ad, it's not going to work, right? But if you're trying to guarantee delivery of your message to an audience that's a great channel, right? It's, it's a billboard that follows, you know, only your customers around. So you have to look at it for what it's intended to do. And I say all that because I want to talk about your podcast business, the podcast Hawk, because you are practicing what you preach. I think podcasts we we harp on all the time is still one of the most under leveraged, you know, platforms. Uh, I think you talked about organic social LinkedIn organically The ability to create content in different formats, wherever your audience is. So for anybody that's listening and says, well, yeah, I just realized that my industry doesn't have a ton of existing demand or it's too competitive to compete through Google ads or through Google search. I don't have the time how can I get in front of my audience? You have to look at where is your audience and people are listening to podcasts, right? The the data is there. So Mm -hmm. talk to me about, you know, again, this idea is born out of necessity. How did you create it? What does it do? Um, And how are you leveraging it for yourself?
1: Great question. So going back to what I mentioned earlier in the podcast, most of my best podcast ideas come because of pandemics. So this idea came around because of the COVID pandemic, which we're (laughs) Hopefully pulling out of right now as we're recording, but you never know, right? We always think that. So March, two years ago, that was what? 2020 was when the COVID pandemic hit. Live Lingua, I am embarrassed but happy to say, actually exploded at that point because everybody was stuck at home and suddenly everybody wanted to learn. I might as well learn Spanish or Chinese or Japanese while I'm stuck in my house, right? So we had like a 40% growth literally in 30 days. Like just people would come and we had trouble hiring teachers, I mentioned most of my marketing channels have been digital. So it's Facebook, Google, and SEO. I went to look and find another marketing channel. And I thought, huh, podcasting, that would be kind of fun. I mean, I have been, been on maybe 20 podcasts at that point, and they were fun. But these were either friends of mine who had podcasts or I speak at conferences. So somebody saw me and invited me on the podcast. I made no active effort to get on podcasts. So I did what everybody does when they want to do something, right? I went on Google. and am like, let me find some podcasts to get on, right? So I Googled podcasts and tried to find things that way. After spending a day doing that, I'm like, that obviously is not the right solution, right? Because either you get podcasts that are like Tim Ferriss and Joe Rogan, which, hey guys, if you're listening, I'd love to be on the <laughs> show, but they're probably not yeah. having on, me on anytime soon. Or half, most of the podcasts were not even active anymore, right? They'd come back in the search results. They hadn't been creating new episodes in two years and then even if they were, I had to go now find their website, then I had to go find yeah. their contact information. No real search mean, engine really
0: specifically for podcasts. Stuff. And even if you search exactly. in you know, Spotify or Apple Podcasts, it's like you can get one or two results. And the, the search engines aren't as sophisticated as Google, right? So it's like, are they searching just the title of the podcast? Are they searching the the names of the episodes? Are they able to search and decipher the content? So yeah, I'm right there with you. I mean, that's something that if you're trying to either just find a podcast to listen to or be a guest on a podcast, huge pain point.
2: Hey, thanks for listening. Solomon here. Are you frustrated because you're not getting enough inbound leads? You're worried that the leads that you're getting are not qualified, or maybe you're disappointed in the conversion rate from the leads to customers, right? It's really, really low. Well, I got good news for you. I talk to business owners every single day. You're not alone. All right, business go through this when there is a lack of strategy sometimes. Uh, Maybe the approach isn't appropriate for your situation or sometimes you got all of those things right, but it was just poor execution. I'll tell you what, head over to oneims.com and fill out one of our forms, talk to one of our consultants, that's all we do. We talk to business owners day in and day out. Share with us your challenges and see if we're a fit, right? See if we can find you a solution to your growing pains. You know, our hope here at One IMS and especially with this podcast, is to give you the tools, the technology, the ideas, the strategies, everything we possibly can for you to succeed. All right, so thank you for listening and let's get back to our topic for the day.
1: Exactly. And that's 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 what I experienced too. And I started talking to some friends and they're like, yeah, I've experienced exactly the same thing. So I said, maybe there's some people who do this, right? as a job. So I looked up and yes, there are podcast booking agencies out there. So I reached out to a few of them because a lot of these people don't put the price on their website. So I had to reach out, I'm like how much do you charge and what kind of services do you have? And they get back to me and it was ranging from like the high hundred dollars to the thousands of dollars. And they would get me on like five shows every month, and I was remember thinking, I asked them like, "Are we talking like the A player shows?" They're like, "No, no." I'm like, what about download numbers? Can you? No, we don't know that either. Because mm-hmm. for those of you who are not familiar with the podcast world, download numbers are not public. Like the pod- individual podcaster knows more or less, mm-hmm. but there's no place you can go and say how many people downloaded the show. There are other websites that estimate but they are wildly guessing i mean i i know i have friends on podcasts and they look at the numbers on these websites and they're not even the ballpark mm-hmm. of reality right so i was like okay i'm not paying you five grand to get me on a podcast in some kids you know and it's just this kid in his basement his mom's basement who's recording on a microphone right i'm like i'm not paying a few hundred dollars for that so with my background as a software engineer i'm like look well, there's got to be a better way so i spent about a month and i'm like okay can i get every podcast in the world into a database and i you know play around with some code i'm I haven't been like a full time coder in ten years, so my code was really ugly. But you know, just is it physically possible to do this? After about a month, I was like, "Yeah, it's physically possible to do this." I didn't finish; it took about a year to get all of them into the database. But I knew it was physically possible. Can we get their contact information? So, if I've another week or two, I'm like, "Yeah, I think I can get their contact information as well." It'll be about sixty percent accurate in the first round, but we can go in there, we can clean it up, we can get it a lot better for everybody. And that's how Podcast Talk was born. So, pretty much, we, what we've built is exactly what you're talking about, Taylor. You can go into podcast talk right now and let's just say for you say, I want to be, uh, give me every podcast that has the word marketing in the description. Don't do title because people get very creative with their titles and they might be marketing podcast, but it doesn't have any mark, the word marketing in their title. Right. Mm-hmm. So give me every podcast with the mar- marketing in the description. I want to make sure they're good quality. So they have at least 4.5 stars. They've been around a bit. Make sure they have 50 episodes. Make sure they've published in the last two weeks. I don't want to be reaching out to people who haven't published in a while. Um, that they're in Swahili. you know We have a language filter. You can just pick what language you want it to be in. And they have the word pink flamingo somewhere in one of their episodes, right? I tell everybody, I challenge you, go to Google and try doing that right now while I do it in podcast talk. So you, you go to Google, you try to look for that. I hit search, and in less than a second, you get every podcast in the world that matches the criteria you put in. That's step one. What we've done on top of that is step two. We've built like an email drip a pitching system on the back end. So what you do is you just pick all the podcasts from that list. But your first search. There's going to be some in there that aren't good fits. So I've been on a lot mm-hmm. of travel podcasts. It's what I used kind of in the beginning when I was getting my feet wet because I travel a lot, but it wasn't my business area, right? So if I mess up and say something, it's like, hey, mm-hmm. if I mess up on my story about being eaten by deer in Japan, yeah, that, that nobody nobody really cares, right? Um, so I was doing a lot of that. And I, My first round was with the travel podcast. You know how many Disney cruise travel podcasts are out there. Mm-hmm. Hundreds. I mean, it was, it shocked me. I was like one out of three podcasts was on a Disney cruise. I've never been to a Disney cruise in my life. Mm-hmm. So obviously I went through the list and I had to filter yeah. those out. I'm like, I'm not going to be pitching these guys. It's not relevant. So you add them all to all to your list. Let's say you can find a thousand podcasts you want to pitch. You add them to a campaign on our system. And then depending on, and we help you customize the emails. We have templates, but you can customize it for the high high ones. Um, we have our own internal score called the podcast score. For all you marketers out there, think, you know, Ahrefs, Domain Authority, or S- 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 SEMrush, kind of that kind of thing. Zero to 100 tells you kind of how powerful the podcast is based on social media signals and all the rest. We're not telling you the downloads. We're just telling you if they have 500 episodes, 5,000 reviews, and 20,000 people following them on Facebook, probably have listeners, as sure. opposed to other shows. If there's one episode, zero reviews probably don't. So we go there. You pick everything. You customize the pitch for the higher ones. Let's say above podcast score of 50. And you hit save. That you never log back into our system again for the next few years. Because what we do is, depending on your plan, we will pitch 25, 50, or 100 of those podcasts dripped every single day. So it's not like MailChimp where we just blast everybody. We kind of drip it through your own email. So you get a much higher response rate. And when they reply, our system picks it up and just sends you an email saying, hey, this podcast over here just replied. They went on the show. Come on back into our system. There's usually an intake form, or they might ask you some questions, or they'll have a calendar link for you to pick a date. That's it. So you set us set it up once. You might spend a day setting up your podcast account, setting up your campaigns. You hit save. And then we just keep pitching for the year, two years. And we get about a 10 to 20% response rate. If you do a good pitch, if you have a good story, you have to have a story to tell before you get on the podcast. And if you have picked the right podcast from our system, right? Again, if I picked Disney podcast, my response rate would have been a whole lot lower than that 10%. Lowest plan, you're probably going to get on a podcast every one to two weeks. And right now our price point is like 39 bucks for that. I'm like, trust me, you're not getting on a podcast for like 10 to 15 bucks anywhere else. Uh, What would that do for your business? One new client, would that pay it off? If you're an author, one or two book sales, would that pay it off? Uh, And there are all these other benefits to appearing on podcasts I'd be happy to talk about if your audience is interested.
0: Yeah, that's actually, was gonna be my next question because I, as I mentioned earlier, I think podcast is still one of the most under leveraged and underutilized, uh, spe- specifically in the B2B space. I think mm-hmm. always, you know, B2B is behind B2C. Um, but, you know, people think, I don't know if people think a podcast is just purely entertainment, but there is, like you said, there's so many business podcasts out there. And so if you're trying to market, I mean, there's so much competition in other channels. And I think there's so many different ways you can leverage your podcast and this outreach strategy. So what ways have you seen people use this podcast outreach strategy? Obviously, it's not just for the vanity of getting on a podcast, right? So how are companies uh, and you know individuals maximizing this outreach strategy?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So there are tons of benefits to being a podcast guest. Some are obvious, some are not so obvious. And most people don't consider all of them when they're looking into this as an option, right? So the most obvious one, when you appear on a podcast, you think, I'm gonna be on the podcast so I get access to whatever that audience is. Fantastic. There's a pre-existing audience in place. And if you're especially in a niche, you have access to, you know, this really specific audience to your clients, right? You're going to be in their earbuds for 30 minutes just, you know, sharing your message, sharing your story. And it kind of feels like they know you after they've heard you on the podcast, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not just an ad. It's An interview, it's you know, usually like with you, you talk about my background, and all the rest of it. It's not just like, Hey, buy my, my product, kind right. Of thing, right? And it's, so a, it's that's a very the most personal awesome.
0: and intimate kind of experience when you're listening, right? Because typically you're in your car, you're in your headphones, and you're it's you know, like you said, it feels like you're part of the conversation,
1: exactly. Exactly. And usually, if you're listening to the podcast, it's not the first episode you listen to it, right? So, even you have like the whole you're associated with the host who you trust the host, so you're like, Hey, Taylor's talking to this guy, I he trust must be him. legit because yeah. Taylor only brings on good guests, right? I mean, it's that kind of thing that being on a podcast gets for you. So that's the immediate result. And that's kind of where most people's thinking stops. And on the podcast, get access to the audience. What most people don't realize is there's a whole lot more to podcasting than that. And I blame this on all those courses that say buy a microphone and you're a podcaster, right? Mm -hmm. I've had had failed a lot of podcasts, right? And you'll back me up. It's a lot more work than just kind of getting on there, right? I mean, creating a podcast is about finding the guests, interviewing them, but what else do podcasters do? Then they create social media and they post it out there and they probably tag the person who's the guest in the social media and share it on Twitter, Facebook, all the rest of it. What does that mean for you as a guest? You just posted, you just, somebody just did your social media for the day, right? I mean, you don't even have to do social media anymore because somebody else just did it for you. If you go on a, you know, a three podcasts a week, you've essentially taken care of free Facebook posts, three Twitter posts. You were talking about all this kind of content amplification, reusing content. That's exactly it. But you don't have to do any of it because the podcaster is going to do it all for you, right? All you did was get on there for 30 minutes, talk about something you're passionate about. That's one of the things that people don't look at. Number two is SEO. Podcasting is an amazing SEO play. And right now with podcast talk, we are looking to integrate in Ahrefs so you can actually search. It's not live yet, but you'll be able to search by domain authority of the podcast homepage and actually get on podcasts by how powerful they're their pages and whether it's do follow or no follow, right? So you can actually do this as a pure SEO play as well. Right. And so you get backlinks back to your website. An interesting case study we're doing there is there are a lot of big companies starting podcasts, but they're still having trouble getting guests. So they have like this Domain Authority 80 website and they just have a slash podcast you know, folder on it. But the podcast is so new that you almost anybody could apply and get on there. I bet a year down the road, you wouldn't be able to. But if you can catch those podcasts at the right time... You just got a Domain Authority 80 link back, do follow link back to your website because most of those companies are not like sophisticated enough to make things no follow. They're not a content company. They don't know to do that, right? So there's the SEO play when you're going into it as well. Number four, it's an amazing networking play, right? So if you're in a specific industry, most people who have podcasts in that industry are also in the industry. Some of those people might even be leaders in that industry. If you walked up to them on the street or you tried to get a phone call with them otherwise, it's really hard to do it. But if you appear on their podcast, you now have their email address. You talk to them. You can share. You meet them at a conference. They'll say, hey, you know, I, you're on my show. You guys can talk. And it might even go. I have some good friends now that I've been on their podcast, and that's how we did We just started a conversation mm-hmm. podcast. We hit it off. We talked after the show. We stayed, stayed in touch. And now we've met up in person around the world. That's number four. Number five has nothing to do with business, but I think it can improve your business a lot as well. It is Getting on a podcast, especially if you do it consistently, which like with all marketing, you know, this it's about consistency. It's not just like doing going on one show and expecting it to work or doing one Facebook ad and expecting that to blow up, right? It's about consistency. You will fine tune your message and actually discover a little bit more about who you are, right? So a lot of podcasters, when they're not that experienced, they ask you the same questions, right? So I have answered some of the same questions hundreds and hundreds of times before. And I remember the analogy I use is that whole statue analogy. I can't remember who came up with it from famous artists, right? Where it's just this big marble block and then you chip away at it. There's a statue in there already, apparently, and you just kind of chip away at it to kind of get to the thing. For me, it's kind of the messaging is the same thing. So when you get on the first podcast, if you're launching a new business and a new product, you try your messaging. Most podcasts, we're doing this, you know, with video. You'll see the host, right? And you kind of see their reaction to the messaging. And you might even get messages, you know, Feedback afterwards about how the messaging resonated. Might not have hit the mark. Next show, you tweak it a little bit. You try it again. Then you try it again. Then you try it again. After 100 shows, I guarantee you, you're going to have the messaging down. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'll be like, you know, you could go you could go on Shark Tank and they give you 30 <laughs> seconds. You're like, I got this. I've done this 100 times already, right? I know exactly what hits, what doesn't hit. And that is the kind of, that's the secret beauty of podcasting. At the end of it, both for the business and for self-discovery. Because if somebody asks you, Taylor, tell me about yourself 100 times, mm-hmm. Your answer the hundredth time is actually going to be really who you are. In the beginning, it's more like bouncing all over the place. Well, I kind of do this. I kind of do that. By number 100, this is who you are. None of that extra stuff is in there. And the answer comes straight out. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, all great points. When you started uh, explaining all the potential benefits, I thought I was going to be able to chime in and give you a couple of those. But particularly those last two, I think are, are things that people overlook. And the last one about just learning more about your, your own business and your own messaging. It's the, you know, it's like, I don't know exactly the the old adage, but uh, basically like you have to be able to teach someone how to do it is the best way to learn, right? You have to work out all the kinks. If you're going to go up and give a presentation on something, same thing happens with the podcast. And then as you obviously multiply it by a hundred and you have, like you said, the interaction and uh, live feedback from uh, whoever you're having that discussion with, you really need to, to nail that messaging and. As marketers, that's what we're trying to do, right? The other piece of it is it's really the most effective way you talk about that consistency and building that cadence. Everything that we preach about marketing, it's educational content creation and distribution. It's getting in front of your audience, educating them. It's inspiring them to potentially want to work with you, right? It's building those relationships, particularly if you're in the B2B space, it's still going to be uh, a, a, you know, a handshake business at the end of the day, but we need to create more opportunities. I would look at that and say, okay, well, if I'm an internal marketer, right. And I have to accomplish all of those things. And I have one, if I'm by myself, or I have two people internally, how am I going to create all this content? I'm going to go pull the best salesperson that we have. And I'm going to make them do this podcast because I'm going to invite our target audience onto the podcast. I'm going to go pitch our target audience and get them in front of them. So at the very least I'm creating opportunities. You said it was what a 10% response rate.
1: You can get about 10%. Res- if you did find the right people and you have a good story, you can get about a 10%. There's response no
0: rate. salesperson in the world that's getting 10% spot response rate on their cold that's email campaigns. It's just not happening. You're asking them for something. You're asking them for their time and with nothing in return, because you want to pitch them a product. Now I want to, I want to get you on a podcast. I think your perspective is going to be perfect for my audience. And here's why, right? Now, all of a sudden you're, you're helping them increase their exposure. You're maybe stroking their ego a little bit. There's so it's such a much, a warmer conversation. I've done it myself in terms of manual outreach. I could reach out to five people on LinkedIn and I'll get one response. Right. I mean, it's just, that doesn't happen. If I say, Hey, do you guys need a digital marketing agency? Right. If I say, I think you'd be a perfect guest for my podcast because of X, Y, and Z they at least respond, right? Even if they said no, but it's it's pretty unlikely. That, I mean, people, like you said, even if it's a large organization, big company, when they're early on, they've never been on a podcast, they've never hosted a podcast, it's a great opportunity to get in the door. So all the content you need to create, the talent that you would need, right? If you're talking about making a video or YouTube ad or something like that, there's so much equipment that goes into it. There's so much coordination to come up with a script and all of this, and it can all be done naturally with the knowledge that, again, your salesperson or your subject matter expert has internally. Turn them into that content production machine, and then chop it up into, like you said, social posts, blog posts, transcribe it, turn it into pillar pages on the con- on the on the website. Get those backlinks from those quality websites. Uh, it is your entire marketing strategy built around this podcast. In reality,
1: exactly. Exactly. And actually a friend of mine, and this is not something I mentioned on the list, because as far as I know, he's kind of an edge case for now. He actually used a podcast, kind of a high-end podcast he was on with like a pretty well-known host as a VSL. Well, I don't want to geek out too much on marketing, but he essentially took the video and made it a video sales letter on a landing page. And he just sent people to that and he killed it. I mean, it was he was converting all over the place from his podcast appearance. I don't know how many people I want to try it. I mean, you know, I haven't tried it yet, but I'm like that probably would work because you're essentially getting, you know, if you can get a, on a pretty big show, and they're like the first image they see is that person when they go to your website that's relevant to your industry as well, and then it's, they see you next to them, and then you're talking about how great this product is. Yeah that should theoretically convert really right. well. Yeah,
0: it's the same. I mean, we talked about Shark Tank already twice, but it's the same idea of like, as seen on Shark Tank, right? But now you have videos like um, you were on this podcast and here's a clip of explaining it. And it's <laughs> real and it's raw and yes. it's natural, that conversation. So it, it should definitely work. Uh, I've seen, obviously, people do a similar idea of kind of taking that, the uh, inherent you know clout and credibility that person has through like Cameo, right? You've seen Facebook ads, mm-hmm. of people ripping, you know, whatever Kevin O'Leary is saying on Cameo, about their business. And Uh then, you know, took that $30 investment and turned it into their ad strategy. So yeah, there's a lot of ways you can get creative uh, and associate yourself with and align yourself with the right companies and individuals without huge budgets. So I think that's a a great, great takeaway there. One last piece I wanted to talk about we're a family owned business ourselves. We work with a lot of manufacturing companies that are family owned generational type businesses. Uh, You, you mentioned you've built, I think all your businesses, I guess, and working with your wife. So how do you kind of balance that? You know, where, how do you how do you keep that that separation of, of <laughs> church and state, if you will?
1: Yeah, so my opinion on this is if you, specifically for marriage, right? So I guess I've never worked with my sister or my parents or anything like that. But if you want to, and my son's two years old and I'm still trying to get him to start coding. Yeah, he should be, kind should of be pretty fluent yeah. in
0: yeah, JavaScript. By the time
1: yeah. he's three, he should be already taking over my DevOps. So... With my wife specifically, the way that it worked for us is we have very different skill sets and we stay out of each other's way. Um, So she's a teacher, so she knows the educational side. I am an awful teacher and I know business now, marketing, IT, and I do that. And we kind of kept those separations in place. I don't believe or ascribe to the work-life balance analogy for this because there is no such thing, right? I mean, we work together, we live together. I mean, there's no oops, it's five o'clock, you know, honey, we don't, don't talk
0: about that. Tell me about the email. I got
1: answered. No, it's not, that does not work. Sure. Right. I mean, it's, we just have to come to a balance. We make sure that our goals are aligned. And I think that's the key. We might have different ways, slightly different ways of getting there, but we're going to the same place. And I'm not going to say that this, there's never been any arguments, um, but that's worked out for us. My opinion is, look, I guess I'll start by saying, I don't recommend anybody else. Do this. <laughs> you know, like It, it happened to be for this one. It's not like I'm recommending starting a business with your spouse. Um, because I think there's about a 80% chance of a divorce and a 20% chance of you coming out with a really strong relationship at the other side. And there's no middle ground. It's one sure. of those two things Extreme that are going right? Um, mm-hmm. And chances are, I'd say divorce is probably much higher on the scale than the strong relationship is. That's why I mentioned wife, because if you don't like your brother or your father, divorce is not really <laughs> an option. Maybe you just won't talk to each other at that point, right? The thing that actually worked for us, so my wife is Mexican. She studied in the US, but she's Mexican. When we were just married, we would argue all the time because Latinas, Latinos, they're like much more open with their emotions. As Americans, we're like, you know, we kind of white conflict if we can. And I kind of didn't like it at the beginning, but now I realize I think it probably saved our marriage. The reason being is if it's the whole pressure cooker analogy, right? We would argue about all these little things all the time. But that meant nothing exploded because, you know, arguing about something you said today or all the rest of it. It's not like for the last five years you've been doing this and now I can't put up with it anymore and, you know, get past that. So that's what helped us. We've been married now for 15 years and you've been running business together now for 15 years. And I actually credit all to us learning how to argue is actually was the key to our success. Um, To argue, get it all out there, get it out, you know, get over it. And then move on from there.
0: Yeah. No. And I think, I mean, that's, if you just were describing, if you didn't say that was your wife, you're just describing business partner, right? You want to have complementary skill sets. You want to learn communication. You have different, you know, kind of management styles and communication styles. I mean, that's it, right? You can't, if you're in business and you know, you have that, I, again, this is going to be the podcast of quotes. We can't remember who said, but there was a quote <laughs> that was like, if there's three, you know, three people in a room and all three of you agree on something, then one person is unnecessary, right? there's, there's, there's exactly. always going to be some sort of conflict. There's always going to be, you should be butting heads because you're passionate about the direction of the company, the organization, in this case, the marriage, all those type of things. So I think that's a good lesson. And yeah, just would, I wanted to get your, your, uh, your take on that. I think it's important for our listeners to learn, but uh, Ray, I appreciate you coming on the podcast. Uh, I had a lot of fun. If you're listening to the podcast and you want to get into the podcast space yourself, maybe you don't want to start your own podcast, but you want to start by being a guest, on other podcasts and do all these things that we're talking about you can go to podcasthawk.com and check out Ray's product it's uh, pretty awesome we're we're certainly going to be customers uh, now that we're aware of it
2: all right so if you enjoyed this episode here are five things that you can do to help us number one make sure you click that subscribe button so you never miss another show number two Share this with a friend that you know needed to hear this. And three, leave us a comment. We love hearing your thoughts, your ideas, things that you've learned so others can learn from you. And four, if you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, let us know so we can put that in our notes and share our insight All right, for our next episode or the one after that. And finally, you guys, join other growth marketers. Head over to oneims.com and check out all the resources that we have made just for you. I'm talking guides, webinars, blogs, videos, anything that could help you become a growth marketer. All right. So thanks a lot for joining us this week on the growth marketers podcast, and I will see you next time.